All right, when I was a kid, maybe around seven or eight, I knew one card game. And it's a very simple game called War. You guys ever played that? All it is, is basically, it takes no skill whatsoever. Each of you have half the deck, and you flip the first card on the top of your deck, and whoever has the highest card wins that round and takes that, that set, and, and it just goes through the deck like that. And um, as a you know, young kid, I just thought that was, that was awesome. Um, but I remember one game in particular, my, my older brother invited me to play war with him, and he, so he gave me my deck, and he took his deck, and then we started playing, and I flip a, a, a seven, and he gets an eight, and I flip a two, and he gets a three, and I flip a king, think, surely I'm going to win this one. He flips an ace. Like, what is going on? Like, I'm just, I, I never have enough to win. And, you know, I keep playing. Flip a four. He flips a five. Do a seven. He gets an eight. Like, what's going on? And some of you guys figured out what's going on. You had an older brother too, right? My evil, wicked, treacherous brother had stacked the decks beforehand so that I would never have enough to win that round. And that, I, I still haven't forgiven him for that, but <clears throat> that, I remember that game because in a lot of ways, I felt like that was kind of a summary of my life. Like, I never had enough to, to win, to make, to, to have that, that life that I thought I was supposed to. I never had enough friends, never had enough athletic ability, never had enough money. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I grew up below the poverty line. And, you know, I, I was always like, had this weird feeling. I didn't know what it was, but, you know, my friends would have the the whole Star Wars collection of the, the whole set with the, the, the cantina and the, 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 uh, the, the Death Star and the, all of these, the, the Imperial Walkers. And, and I like had one action figure and it was like Greedo. And it was like, <laughs> just happened to be the one that was on sale when my birthday came around. And I mean, what do you do with Greedo? Like he's got... 45 seconds of, of airplay in the whole movie, and then he gets killed by Han, who shot first, I believe. Um, but, um, but it's like, I, I, that's what it felt like growing up, was everyone else had access to something I didn't have access to. Like, other people had these resources that I just, I, I didn't have, and it was... It was, it was a weird feeling, like I just never had enough to get, get ahead. Like I just never felt like I, I had what it took, whether it was intelligence, whether it was, um, you know, the, the right connections, the right friends. I just never had what it took to really make life work like everyone else seemed to have 
their lives working. And I wonder if maybe some of us walk into church and we see all of these people who seem to just have this real connection with God and we're kind of feeling like, I don't quite, I don't know what, I don't have access to what they have. Like, I just, I don't have enough <clears throat> emotional oomph or I don't have enough, like, discipline or, or you know, whatever it is that they have that makes it seem like they just, their, their life with God is, is joyful and, and, it, and I have all of these doubts and uncertainties and insecurities and, and I just don't have enough to get where every, all of these, you know, people who seem to have the spiritual life figured out. And if you're in that place, I have really good news for you. Paul has really good news for you from Philippians 4. Paul has good news for the, the have-nots, the people who are lacking whatever it is that it seems like we're supposed to have. Paul is giving us in this Philippians 4, he's, he's basically showing us that whatever it is that you feel like you're lacking, whatever it is you're missing, it's not enough to keep you from the contentment and joy that Jesus intends for you. Whatever you feel like is keeping you away, whatever need that's not being met, whatever place of, of, of lack or poverty or hunger or whatever it is that seems like I don't have enough to get where we're supposed to be with God, Paul's going to tell us here in Philippians 4, it can't stop the joy and contentment of Christ. God has an unstoppable contentment available for you today. Let's read about it in Philippians verse, chapter 4, verse 10, where Paul is actually thanking the Philippians for a gift that they sent him, but he's also teaching them about how God's economy works, how, how our needs and our, our wants and these things do not have to keep us from the life of joy that he intends. So let's read um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's talking about to give them this gift, which he finally, they gave him this gift. Um, verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul is saying here, there is a secret to being fully content through the ups and downs of life. 
there's something that you can know and apply and do that will allow you to find joy whether or not your bank account says 14 cents or 14 million dollars. Like, you, if you have this secret, this thing that Paul is talking about here, you can find joy whether or not you're in a wonderful relationship with someone who loves you and, and, and just makes you feel so, so filled and loved and accepted. And, or if you are in a place where you don't have anyone that is there for you and you feel like you're lonely and you're missing out and you can find the contentment that Paul is talking about either way if you know the secret that he's talking about. If there's one certainty in life, there will be ups and downs. There will be times of plenty. There will be times of lack. And this is both financial, when you have all the finances you need, or you have none of the finances you need. It could be emotional, where you have all of the emotional reservoir of, of, of happiness and buoyancy that you want, or when you're just down and you don't have that emotional reservoir filled. I mean, it could be a, a relational uh, emptiness or, or relational fullness, which whatever dimension of life, there's these roller coasters. There's times when you're at the top, financially, emotionally, relationally, whatever it is. Or there's times when you're at the bottom and you're just without financially, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, whatever it is. And Paul is saying... Stop waiting for your lucky break before you find joy. Stop waiting until you get that roller coaster to come back up before you find joy. You can find joy when you're at the bottom. You can find contentment. You can find a sense of all being right with the world even when you're at the bottom. If you know the secret that Paul is going to reveal to us in verse 14, 13. What is the secret? Paul tells us in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, Paul is not saying, I'm the superman because God... Christ is with me. He's saying, you know, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever place, whatever state, on the top or at the bottom, you have the strength from Christ through this dependent relationship with him to be able to thrive in that place. In the place of lack, in the place of plenty, wherever you happen to be, Christ will give you the strength you need to thrive, to find joy, to find contentment in that place. In 
this place where you're at right now, whatever you find like, oh, maybe once I get enough time, then I will be able to find that place of joy with Christ. No, don't wait until then. If you're thinking, once I get that job, once I get that girlfriend, once I get that whatever it is that will make life better, stop waiting and find joy now. There was a, a tourist who went on a vacation to a, a, a Central American fishing village. And uh, he liked the the quaint, quiet, you know, peaceful um, atmosphere of this little village. And, and even as he enjoyed it, he still kind of, he kind of looked down a little bit on the people living there. And he's, he's walking through uh, this fishing village along the shore, and he sees this fisherman lying in his boat, lounging around, half asleep. And he comes up to the, the guy and the tourist, he's, he's like, uh, excuse me, sir, um, can you tell me why you're lying here taking a nap at 11 o'clock in the morning when you could be out there fishing? Fisherman says, uh, I, fish were biting this morning. I caught all I needed for my family. It's like, uh, okay, but if the fish were biting, then you could still be out there catching boatloads of fish. He's like, yeah, probably, but why would I do that? He's like, well, like if you caught more fish, you could go sell a lot more at the market and make more money, and you could, you know, buy more boats and, and buy more stuff. Fisherman's like, yeah, probably, but why would I want to do that? Like, I mean, if you had... If you bought more boats, you could lease it out to, to other fishermen and you could, they, you, you could have a whole fleet of boats and they could, they could be fishing and, and you could take a cut of what they're getting. And, and I mean, you could be making just so much money this way. It's like, yeah, but why would I want to do that? It's like, uh, because like then you could enjoy life and, and you could... You know, you could, you could take it easy and, and really enjoy the finer things of life. Fisherman kind of laughs at him. He says, what do you think I'm doing? <laughs> so often we complicate life and we go on these great endeavors to try to get what we think will make us happy, will make us content. And we've already got it. If Paul is right here, if you have a relationship with Christ, you already have all you need to be content and happy and satisfied and joyful right now where you're sitting. But we have to stop waiting until things change, until we get more, 
We have to stop thinking that it's going to be right around the corner when I, when I don't have as much responsibilities, when, I, when I'm able to let go of this thing, then I'll find joy. Paul is saying, you can have it right now. You can walk out of those doors today content and fulfilled and flourishing in your life. Even if your bank account doesn't change, even if your romantic situation doesn't change, no matter what you're going through, you can walk out that door joyful. But you have to do what Paul is saying here. You have to expect and rely upon this connection with Christ to give you the strength to get through whatever state you're in. You know, last week, this is, last week we talked about, um, in Philippians 4, the first part of the passage about how we can be filled with God's peace through this practice of prayer, and I didn't get to, to go into a whole lot of detail about that as I wanted to, but I want to give you a very practical prayer pattern that can help you live into this secret that Paul is telling us about contentment. And it's based on Philippians 4, 6, which we, we looked at last week. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is the prayer pattern that, that I've, I've found throughout church history and different traditions. They, many of them have something that they call an examination of conscience, which... Um, there's a lot of ways to do that, but this is the way I do it, and I find it, it gets me where Paul's talking about. And this is the prayer pattern. Um, I call it the, the happy column, sad column. Get a prayer journal, and you draw a line down the middle of the page. Put a happy face on the top of one side and a sad face on the top of the other side. And every night as you go get ready for bed, you just reflect back on your day with Christ. And you say, what were the good things that happened today? Just list them down. List down the things and talk to God about them. And what you'll inevitably find is that thanksgiving comes up. Uh, gratitude. Gratitude is, is literally just recognizing something good happened, and that good that happened was not really your, your fault. It was from somebody else or something else. Gratitude is recognizing, I experienced something good today that was not all my doing. And no matter how rough the day was, you can always find something good that you can give thanks for. I had a good breakfast. You know, it wasn't a whole lot, but it was good. You know, maybe your, your, your sad column might be filled with all kinds of complaints, and that's fine. Like, all of your 
things that didn't go well that day, that's fine. Uh, I mean, your sad column might be filled with complaints about your husband or wife. Like, they're, they're, they're not paying attention to me. They don't seem to love me as much as they should. They're, they're always doing this thing that irritates me. And your, your whole sad column can be filled with all of these complaints about them. But then when you look at the happy column, you can, you can kind of say, well, at least, you know, my husband is not abusive like my friend that's going through this abuse in their relationship. They're, 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 they're a gentle person. At least, you know, they're... There's someone who is, has not left me and run off with another woman like so-and-so. They're faithful. And you can find good things. If you, if you try, it takes some work. It takes some effort. But you can start to list out some of the good things about these situations where there's a lot of bad things. This... This practice not only helps you to process your emotions with Christ, which we talked about last time, it also helps you to, to not do what psychologists refer to as, as splitting. Thinking that everything's bad about this, this situation. Everything's bad about this, this, this uh, person. Everything is bad about this day. Well, not really. If you're, and this is, a, you know, a sign of psychological maturity, is to be able to see every experience, every person is some mixture of good and bad. And being able to recognize both the good and the bad and hold those in tension is the sign of emotional health. And as you process through your feelings about your husband or wife, about your job, and you complain about it, and you thank God for it, and you recognize, you know, your one boss can be really, really nasty to you, but your coworker is actually kind of a nice person who really um, understands you, and you can be able to hold these things in tension as you practice going through your day with Christ and processing those emotions with him in prayer. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's how you can do it in just some practical ways. Um, uh, Let's, let's move on. Paul, Paul goes on in verse 14 and he starts talking about the actual gift that these people gave him. And within this context of, of him learning how to be content in need as well as in abundance, he, he basically wants to clarify, you know, this does not negate what God is teaching me does not negate what God is teaching you. 
And so he wants to clarify, I'm not saying that what you gave my, this gift of, of this financial gift to me was bad because I was trying to practice contentment in being without. He's saying, it's, it's good what you did. And this is what God is doing in and through your gift. Let's read about what Paul says in verses 14 through 18. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul is saying to them, you did good. You sacrificially gave to my need. You showed solidarity with me in my place of poverty. That is so good. And you know what else? When we give generously to God's work, God receives that gift as to him. We're giving a gift to God when we give to his work. Um, how do you Venmo heaven? You know, we put up every week this slide on here of how you can give to the church. And that's, that, you know, it, yes, it goes to the church, but that can also be your giving directly to the God who created you, to the Savior who died for you. You can give him an offering that is pleasing to him through one of those giving methods. You know, uh, you know why I'm up here? Because Mark gave me a call a few weeks back. He said, hey, Joel, um, you believe in free speech? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I do, I guess. He's like, oh, great, come give one. Um, <clears throat> no, I, I know we get, we get uncomfortable talking about money, and I know there's always that, um, that kind of thing in the back of your mind when, when the pastor gets up and starts saying, you know, you give to God through giving to the church. Well, I can get away with what Mark can't because I'm not getting any red cent from this, this preaching here. And I'm saying to you guys what Mark can't because there's no conflict of interest here. You need to put your money where your mouth is. If you value the kingdom of God, what God is doing in this world above everything else, you need to put that into your financial plans. You need to be giving to God through the church, through what God is doing, to what Jameson is preparing to do as he looks to launch a church down the road here. I mean, you, you can give to the greatest work that is going on in this universe. The kingdom of God is being advanced 
through the people of God doing the work of the ministry, you can give to that. And God, it says, he, he, he receives it as this pleasing, acceptable offering to him that makes God smile. Not because he was mad at you before and, you know, you're paying him off somehow. Because God just wants to see you express your love and dependence and commitment to him in your pocketbook as well as in your words. Okay, one more point and then we go home. Um, <clears throat> at this part, at this very end of the, 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 the whole book of Philippians, Paul kind of gives a nice summary of, of God's economy. He gives a, a sort of a, uh, just a, a blanket statement that expresses what we need to know about the way this whole thing works. Uh, verse 19 through 23. And God and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And then he ends with, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. God will supply all of your needs according to his infinite resources by his grace. This, this gives us three guarantees about God's economy. First, God will give you what you need, not necessarily what you want. It says, my God will supply every need of yours, not every little thing that pops into your head. Needs and wants. We need to know the difference between these, okay? Needs is a shelter to sleep in. Wants is that split-level, four-bedroom home with the barbecue pit in the back and the, the pool and all. That's, that's wants. God's, God's going to meet your needs, not necessarily all your wants. Needs is food and drink in your stomach to keep you alive. Wants is a bacon cheeseburger from Five Guys with the Cajun fries and... Large Coke, they got those peanuts, and wait, where was I? Um, um, needs and wants, okay, I was in wants, yes. Um, so God will supply all of your needs, but not necessarily all of your wants. And we have to keep that in mind, because if we're not careful, um, we are going to become like Veruca Salt. Any of you guys know that name? Veruca Salt. From Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, one of my favorite movies from a ways back. Um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory has this character 
named Veruca Salt, who is the prototypical spoiled brat. Her father is filthy rich. He owns all of these factories. He finds out that there's five golden tickets that are going to be out there in the world. And his daughter, Veruca Salt, says, I want one of those tickets. And he's like, okay, I'm going to make sure that that happens. And so he does this tremendously wasteful and extravagant plan of buying up millions of chocolate bars and finally finds a golden ticket for his daughter, Veruca. And he walks proudly up to her and he hands her the ticket. And her reply is perfect. She's, she smiles at him. She's like, Daddy, I want another pony. No thanks. No, no, I'm glad you did that for me. Just, I want more. And even later in the, in the, the, the movie, she, she, she sees these trained squirrels that are, that are uh, finding the bad nuts in Charlie's chocolate factory. And she tells her daddy, I want a trained squirrel for a pet. And the father's like, well, you already have a pet. And she's like, all I have at home is one pony and two dogs and four kid cats and six bunny rabbits and two canaries and two parrots and a train and a hamster. I want a trained squirrel. And of course, you know, she... She doesn't get it, and she throws a tantrum, and it turns out she's one of the bad nuts that is thrown out. Um, weird story, but yeah. Uh, the whole point of this thing is we don't want to be spoiled, entitled brats in the kingdom of God. God wants us to learn to be content, but not to be complacent. He wants us joyful but not spoiled. And part of what that entails is we've got to learn to allow God to determine where our needs are going to be met and where we're just going to get the bare minimum. This is, this is not a... a um, this is not a place where... where God is wanting to give you more than is good for you. And one of the things I've learned over the years is that there's some lessons that you can only learn when you have enough, and there's some lessons you can only learn when you don't have enough. There's some places of growth that happen in need, in poverty in a place of not having all the things that you would like. And there's some places, some things that, places of growth that happen when you do have what you want or, or need. And we need to be able to trust that God knows which we need right now. And that he's going to give us the strength to get through whatever area that we're in need of. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the, the, the guarantees about God's economy. No, uh, he will give you what you need, not necessarily what you want. God always has more than enough. God has access to every bit of this universe. 
and he's not, you know, worrying about how he's going to make it in this economy. Like, inflation is not something that's making God like, oh my, how am I going to do this? He's, he's, let me just put it this way. He's super rich. Like, God's got all the money in the world, but he doesn't want to be like Baruch Salt's father and just give you everything you ask for when you want it, why you want it. He is going to be watching for the growth of your soul and giving you what you need to bring you where he wants you to go. So God always has more than enough. Um, <clears throat> and number three, you know, th- this phrase that ends the book of Philippians. Um, I'm sorry, it just it sounds so like religious mumbo-jumbo. I don't know. I, I just, when, when, when you say, um, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It feels like, you know, that, that meaningless thing that, that you're just supposed to say to people as they, like, are gathered. I, what, what grace is, in just real practical terms, grace is often defined as unmerited favor. I prefer to, to, deter, to, to define it as God really likes you. And not because you're such a good person, but because he's such a good person. God really likes you. God, when he sees you, he feels a positive response when he thinks about this person he created that's sitting in your seat right now. He really likes you. And when, when we find ourselves in need, when we find God is not answering our prayers, when we find he has not given us what we thought he should have given us, it's really easy to get into this mindset of saying, God hates me. Or maybe God is, is just, he doesn't want to give me something and he's just waiting for me to, prove myself worthy or something. No. That's not how God's economy works. God has all the resources he needs. He has a plan for you. He knows what you need. And he really, really likes you. And so whatever reason he's not answering your prayer, it's not because you haven't proven yourself or because you're, he, he doesn't like you very much. He's sitting up there with a scowl on his face when he thinks about what a mistake he made when he made you. No. God's grace, God's unmerited favor, God's sense of joy at your existence is something that is unquestioned. And that grace, that God liking you is something that should be at the forefront of every conversation that you have with him. And I'll just, I'll, I'll tell a tiny bit more of my, my own experience here. Um, a few years back, I had one, one I, the most terrible 
season of my life. Um, I went from probably 15 years ago having a successful church ministry. Things were working out well financially, relationally, everything. Things were working really well. And then combination of a lot of different things, but the church that I was pastoring just started dying. And as the church started dying, I remember coming to this verse so often and like, God, you said you're going to supply all our needs. The church finances are going down. We're not, we don't have enough to do what you've called me to do. What's up? Are you supplying all my needs? And every time I brought that to God, I felt like this reminder, like, do I have a roof over my head? Yeah. Do I have three meals a day? Yeah. Okay, God's supplying all my needs, but he's taking me through a really difficult stretch. That led to me, I mean, long story uh, short, I mean, that's what led me here to California, closed down the church that was there, went to school here, um, was unemployed for a year, and our whole savings, life savings that we'd built up for many years just went down to nothing. And when that got down to nothing, I'm like, God, you're supposed to supply all my needs. What's up? God's like, you have a roof over your head? Yeah. Got enough food for three meals a day? Yeah. Okay. Things got worse and worse, and, you know, I, I went through emotionally a place of finding that all of my sense of God liking me was mostly built on me doing a good job. I would never have said it this way because I had a good theology on paper, I'm saved by grace through faith and all of that stuff. But I had built up this picture in my mind that as long as I was doing good, doing good things, you know, doing what God wanted, then God would like me and God would take care of me. And that whole thing got dismantled deep down where I needed it. And God, because he loved me so much, took me through a journey that changed my soul from the inside, of taking me to the very bottom. And at that very bottom, when I was not able to do anything good for God, I could not even find a job anywhere. I was just at the worst possible place of having nothing to offer God and finding at that place, God likes me. In fact, God loves me. And he is really pleased with my existence. And there was something about experiencing it there, in that place of need and lack, and just at the very bottom, that as things began to get better, I I. My whole identity is, is built on 
a whole different type of approval from God that has nothing to do with whether I do a good job or not. Because I experienced at the place of need, at the place of having nothing to offer him, having nothing worthwhile of experiencing that down there in the depths, just me with nothing, God really likes me. And he really likes you. And whatever he needs to, whatever journey he needs to take you on, to help you to understand that, whether or not it goes through some places of, of lack or some places of abundance, he will take you because he loves you. And no matter where we find ourselves, in any state along the way, whether we find ourselves at the top of the roller coaster or at the bottom, you can be content because Christ will strengthen you to get you through whatever you're going through right then. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can count on you, that your love is, is beyond measure, beyond imagination, and that you have a plan to bring joy and contentment and fulfillment and love into each of our situations. And that nothing that we're going through can disqualify us from your presence in our lives and your work to bring about that life. Some of us here today may, may need to stop wrestling with God. Maybe you're in a place where you've been just saying, God, you've got to get me out of this so I can experience you and your goodness. And God's saying, I'm right there in that with you. Stop wrestling and just surrender. Some of you may need to just rethink your thankfulness. Maybe you're someone who, who has been able to connect with God through your complaints and your recognition of all the bad things, but maybe right now you need to practice thanking him for the good things you have. Some of you today might be in a place where you're just saying, things are going pretty well. I've got some pretty good stuff going on. And God is challenging you to generously give some of that away to others. You have time, you have energy, you have money, you have resources, and God is saying, I want you to put that into my kingdom to go out and be generous to the world in a gift to me. Maybe you need to talk to one of our prayer team. We can have the prayer team on the sides. But whatever it is that God's doing, lean into that with him and allow him to work because he's at work in your life today.